The reading this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. Listen. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your lifespan? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not so much more clothe you you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? Or what will we wear? Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God as, and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Hear what the Spirit is saying to you in the reading of those words. Whether you finish school this week or whether you finish school 50 years ago, There is something about the end of the school year that makes us all want to kick off our shoes and just welcome a new routine. The church year is no different. We spend so much of the church year in these dedicated liturgical times. Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, Holy Week, Easter, Pentecost. These seasons take up about half the year. And now we're in this big season called Ordinary Time. (laughs) Those first seasons actually, in a very wonderful way, tell the story of the life of Jesus. But this other ordinary time, in many ways, is the way we put these actions and these lessons into our life. The life of the ordinary. I find the start of Ordinary Time so ironic. The concept of ordinary hints at boredom and sometimes insignificance. Yet it's in these ordinary times that God is the most palpable if we choose to see it. It's during these in-between times that we can be the most in tune with life's most profound, albeit simple, joys. It is here where God is profoundly present. And here we are at the apex of the year, away from the calendars and the dominant narratives that drive the rest of the year. 
and we can find some small pockets of time and freedom that eludes other seasons. Freedom we usually long for, and yet we still worry about plenty. I love today's reading, telling us not to worry. How does that work for you? (laughs) If you have a way, please tell me. It's easier said than done, right? I don't know if I can fully commit to not worrying. I don't know if I can fully commit to not worrying for the next day, much less an entire season. And that's why I love today's reading. It really calls us out on our human tendency to worry. And that was clearly a human tendency 2,000 years ago, when life was in many ways much more simple. But go back to your own worries and just think about them. Our worries are justified. I mean, some of them are for safety, which is justified. And some of them are for things that require our attention. And, you know, if we don't worry about things that are going on at work and we don't show up, well, that's kind of a problem too. But just think about how much our worry and the cycle of worry in our head takes up. They take, it takes up a lot of space and it's real. But asking your brain to stop worrying is like asking your stomach to stop producing enzymes. This is just what the brain does. And the lesson in Matthew's lesson is acknowledging that that exists, but pointing you to everything else that also exists, right alongside the worry. Our worries are there, but so are the spectacular lilies of the field and the birds who seemingly fly around in their great diversity without a worry in the world. And if they are cared for, we are cared for too. We can worry all day and it won't change a thing that we're worrying about. We can worry all day and it will never stop creation from going on. This amazing world goes on whether we worry or whether we don't. We just need to focus on today and seeing everything else that exists outside this narrow vision of our thoughts and worries. Time, this ordinary time, even busy time, time is a non-renewable resource. How we use our time is how we live our life. And this phenomenon has fascinated psychologists and theologians alike. Go back to March 2020. Prior to March 2020, the Western world had pretty logical containers for our time. There was the work container, school, family time, sleep, weekends, fun, activities. Then COVID hit. Our days were no longer structured by the container of location, calendar, or clock. The sudden shift initially created what psychologists refer to as time abundance, as one kid said, best snow day ever. Time abundance and time affluence is our sense that we have free time, the sense that the kids have right now, like next week, no bus, no, no homework. Gosh, I remember that feeling. It's wonderful. It's this feeling you have this time. As adults, we sometimes feel it as the weekend starts, and we often feel it when we come to a new place on the calendar, a three-day weekend, maybe even a new season. The summer is one of those. And I think, as I said, no matter how old we are, there's still that feeling, that middle week in June. This is it. My time abundance is here. But go back to the pandemic, as that wonderful sense of time affluence prevailed, it dwindled very fast. Work still took over, worry still took over, 
And we got back to feeling that time famine, that feeling that if we're not constantly working, not constantly finding ways to cut quarters, we're just not doing it. So even under this fantasy of more time than we ever had, people still burned out. People still felt time famine. Um, And it didn't feel good. Harvard Business School published a study that said that experiencing time famine had a more negative impact on people than being unemployed. Yet most of us at some point in the year, certainly in, a, in the week sometimes, feel this sense of time famine. And that sense of time famine, that urgency only fuels our worries. So the stress around time, you know, go, even go back 15 years, our time budget looks much different than it did today. And now we have the little freebies we get, psychologists call time confetti, because our freebies of time are in five and 10 minute increments. You have five minutes where you're waiting for someone to come out the building. You have five minutes in the doctor's office. You have five minutes before you can leave in the morning. That's your time confetti. And we often use that time confetti by doing what? By scrolling, maybe um, picking up something. We don't always use that five minutes to really be present. Now, we're going to go to theological time, which has so many dimensions. There are seven or eight Greek words that concern time. But I'm going to talk about two today in relation to time abundance and time famine and time confetti. They are chronos and kairos. It's your Greek lesson for today. Chronos refers to chronological or sequential time. The watch is chronology. History is chronological. Kairos refers to the significance of time. So if you're getting married right now, if you're having a baby right now, if you're graduating from school right now, that's kairos. Like, that's a significant, weighty period of time. And it can't be measured. It's beyond measurement. It's deeply spiritual and very transformative. So how we spend our time has huge implications. In these summer days where our slight change in schedule can lead us to feel some temporary time abundance, or perhaps we may have more moments of those five-minute time confettis. I hope we can use this time to momentarily reflect on our worries and lean into the love and awareness of the moment, the things that exist right alongside with those worries. Take the ordinary out of the chronos and put it into the kairos. The poet Mary Oliver wrote, That attention is the beginning of devotion. We choose where to put our attention, even if we only get it in those bursts of time confetti. It's so easy to reach for our phone. It's become an instinct for many. Writer Andrew Sullivan, in his 2016 essay entitled, I Used to Be a Human Being, suggested that the the greatest threat to faith today is not hedonism, but distraction. If attention gives birth to devotion, then perhaps part of the mission of a people of faith today is to counter distraction by calling people to goodness and wonder, wonder of the material, embodied, and natural world, just like the text from Matthew does. The natural world is ripe with meaning because it demands that we connect with reality itself rather than a curated version of it. The New York Times writer Tish Harrison Warren said that the Christian faith is as interested in mountains as it is morality. It asks for attention 
not just to dogma, but to dog woods. And it's occupied not only with our souls, but with our senses. Wonderful words. And the more I've tried to put that to use and find God in the natural and material worlds, the more I reach for a beauty or a truth that's beyond my grasp, the more vivid and vital the things of the earth become. Theologian Eugene Peterson describes this as praying with our eyes open. The key to breaking the cycle of overworking and burnout is to pray with our eyes open and to change the way we think about time, especially ordinary time. This summer, I, like many of you, will have glimpses of time abundance that I do not have the rest of the year. I want to pray with my eyes open as much as possible and attend to the world around me in ways that do not come naturally to me. I want to witness not only the lilies of the field, but the wildflowers in the field. I want to watch those birds in the air. I want to hear a pounding summer rainstorm on my roof. And if I fail to lean into my time abundance, I want to resist spending the moments of time confetti interfacing with a screen. Those confetti moments can really add up during the day if we use them well. It might take practice, but recognizing the fleeting feeling of time affluence and using the brief moments of time confetti wisely will help us see a lot more that is actually in our midst and that we are part of this ongoing story of creation. It will also remind us of how full and essential each moment really is. It will take us out of the chronos and place us in the kairos. Well, we began today with the Gospel of Matthew. I want to close with Albert Einstein, an amazing scientist, no doubt, and an avowed agnostic, but whose scientific study always had deep spiritual resonance. Interestingly, his favorite theory of relativity imparts some scientific wisdom to the spiritual experience of time, especially ordinary time. Near the end of his life, Einstein Einstein wrote a condolence letter to the widow of Michaela Besso, one of his best friends and colleagues who had just died. Here is an excerpt from the letter. What I admired most about Michaela was the fact that he was able to live so many years with one woman, not only in peace but in constant unity, something I have lamentably failed at twice. So in leaving this strange world, he has once again preceded me by a little. That doesn't mean anything. For those of us who study physics, this separation between past, present, and future is only an illusion, however tenacious. MIT scientist Dennis Overby talked about this very quote in his book, Einstein in Love. Overby explains what Einstein is saying is that all the moments in our life perpetually exist. We just experience them one moment at a time. He said it's kind of like experiencing the frames on a reel of film. The frames are there. You only see one at a time. With this in mind, however you conceptualize the physics and the spirituality of it all, 
Think of the frames of your life and how you experience them. Think of how many ordinary moments really can contain the extraordinary and how the extraordinary is really something eternal. There is no doubt this intersection where Kronos and Kairos exist. How we use our time is indeed how we live our life. Worries will continue to exist in our mind on the best of days and on the worst of days. But if we can see all the things in God's creation that thrive right alongside our worry and enjoy the wonder of this amazing arc of a universe that is always being created and recreated with and for us, we'll feel ourselves held in the care of God and we'll see these ordinary frames, these ordinary moments as gateways to the eternal. As the modern mystic Thomas Merton wrote, you do not need to know precisely what is happening or exactly where it is all going. What you need is to recognize the possibilities and challenges offered by the present moment and to embrace them with courage, faith, and hope. May your ordinary times this summer be filled with love, light, and a palpable sense of God's presence in the midst of it all. Amen. Oh, my God.